Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, Kirk. I just got back, as you know, from a bike ride. Very exciting. Love a good bike ride. I've updated our listeners on, on my excitement at purchasing a road bike, something I've wanted for a long time, and have been actually able to get out uh, more frequently now. Um, so my goal is to go out about once a week on it, and uh, it's just funny what I found today. Uh, I, I just as, as I was biking, I had this realization of how silly I am. As, as just a human being, uh, and here's why. I'll explain. Uh, I had planned to go out earlier in the morning, and looking at the weather forecast and, and thinking this is going to be a great day for biking, just perfect. It's, it's the weather's mild. It's not. It's it's kind of cooled off a little bit. It's going to get hot later in the day, but it'll be a nice, cool morning. Um, and and a big thing is is uh, it's been a little breezy. I think it's probably with June here with uh, with. Uh, cold fronts and, and warm fronts and, and those things colliding. It's, it's been a bit, bit of a breezy month, and you, and you don't want a lot of wind when you're biking. Well, at least it, it makes it harder. Uh, but as today, uh, as, as I got, started out, I realized this is a windy, <laughs> windy day. This is not the day I thought it was. So what are we talking about in terms of miles per hour? I've I have no idea. I mean, See, I, I think I've forgotten since uh, moving to sort of the east, moving to Pennsylvania, just how truly windy like weeks at a time are in the Midwest. Like the wind can just blow and blow and blow and blow and blow. And like if you live in California or in, in say, New York or Boston, like you don't understand how windy I think the heart of the country is. Yeah, and it. I think it depends on the day. Uh, there's days we certainly notice it, and we're just like, "Wow, it's just obnoxiously windy." Most days we don't notice it, but on those, it's those days that it you don't notice it unless you're actually biking. So I'm pulling up the the weather right now, and it says that it's 17 miles an hour, but that's a lot. The, the direction matters, you know. Like if you're going directly against it, or even if it's going uh, kind of across, uh, th that can really kind of knock down a biker. But uh, so so anyway, I'm I'm about five miles into a 24 mile ride, and I'm really struggling, Kirk. I am struggling, and uh, I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, I'm doing this mostly for the exercise, and yet I'm I'm just kind of frustrated that I didn't get an earlier start, uh, and that I didn't get out before the wind picked up because it was very calm earlier today, uh, and I guess the the <laughs> I think. If, that exacerbated my frustration was that uh, just uh, maybe a week ago, uh, I got Meg a 
I don't know, anniversary, Mother's Day combination gift. Uh, she had been using uh, an uh, Apple Watch Series 1. Uh, it's an Apple Watch. I'm not convinced of the need of an Apple Watch. I think it's <laughs> an extra, you know, as, as the, uh, the dad who's always turning down the heat and turning off the lights and trying to save money. I, I think it's kind of an extra accessory that's not really needed. So when Meg wanted one, she bought one that was a few generations old. And I'm like, ah, she's not going to – like, she's going to discover that uh, she's not – this isn't really for her. But after a few years of using it, she actually likes it. Um, but she's using this Series 1 uh, model, this old, old, old model, while uh, that doesn't have the functionality that the newer ones have. And they had a, a, a really good sale, like $85 off of, of the Series 5. So got her the Series 5 one, and so she deactivated the Series 1 watch. And is actually, when we next month when we see you guys, I think she's going to give it to your wife. Oh, um, so sweet. Okay, I won't let the cat out of the bag. Do you like my no, Apple I think Watch? Kim must know it. <laughs> this is it. Twenty nine ninety nine generic Amazon special. <laughs> so, um, but before Meg was thinking, like, what do I do with this? It's it's got zero trade in value uh, with the Series One Apple Watch. Uh, what do I do with it? She's like, Do you want it? And I was just like, No, I've I've no interest in it. And then as I thought about it, I was like, Well, it might be fun to wear it when I bike. Oh yeah. Uh, the two times when my dad was here uh, at the beginning of May. Does it have a bike was... setting for workouts? I'm, like... I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. How, I, I successfully synced it uh, seconds before my ride. I did not do anything else to set it up. In fact, have... I haven't even pulled up the stats. Have I ever told it you was, my it old? Was really, it was really fun to come back after biking with my dad, who has, has – it's he doesn't have an Apple Watch, but – but some sort of fitness watch where uh, he, he downloaded the data onto his computer, and then after the bike ride, we could see our average miles per hour per mile. Oh, yeah, that's like, cool. So between mile six and seven, we averaged this. Um, this was our peak uh, speed. You know, All that stuff is just interesting to me, and I was really looking forward uh, to getting home and just kicking butt on paper, looking at my <laughs> tremendous speed while uh, the biggest thing that I'm going here for here – well, it's fun. To is what zoom. heart rate? Is 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 a workout? Yeah. So I'm frustrated by not going fast because it's being recorded on uh, the watch as me not going fast, and there's probably a uh, sermon illustration here, a performanceism kind of uh, us trying to perform our best. Uh, but anyway, uh, the the funny thing about uh, biking with the uh, with wind is that you never actually feel like the wind is at your back. You only notice it when it's <laughs> coming at you. So uh, so I, I I have the data somewhere, I hope, um, unless I was supposed to hit a button. I assume that I could just start biking and then come home and look at uh, that stuff. I still have yet to figure it <clears> out. So, so uh, our mother gave me a Fitbit charge a couple of years ago, and uh, it's, uh, it's good, Fitbit. It's name brand, right? So... Which a lot of a lot of things in my life I get off brand, and just kind of deal with <laughs> uh, general mediocrity for the sake of price. But like, so I had this Fitbit, um, and uh, I I don't bike as much as you do. Like I bike with children. I don't actually go on legitimate bike rides very often. But um, it, at my weekly report on my Fitbit, it'll sh bunch of bike rides will show up because <laughs> Fitbit thinks two things I do a lot of in life are biking. Number one, mowing the lawn. <laughs> so any push mowing, right? think of uh, the, 
where your hands are when you're push pulling, right? They're sort of like <laughs> as if they're on handlebars and like there's vibration. And so the Fitbit is like, that is registering as biking, filing away, heart rate or whatever, right? Because that's in my, in my head, that's how all electronic devices think. And, um, and the other thing is playing piano. It registers those vibrations, so it must think I must be like off-road biking or something with all the bumps. And my hands are my hands are in that position, like the gyroscope is thinking, like his hands are outstretched, therefore he's biking. I'm sorry, listener, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and, and, and somewhere a Fitbit engineer is is sitting there analyzing the data, and there's all this kind of median data saying, okay, I think our devices are working, but how do we make our devices work better? Let's look at this this stuff at the high end where these people are biking 75 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> that can't possibly be true. And then here's this guy in, in Pennsylvania <laughs> who is biking zigzags in his yard uh, <laughs> at three miles an hour and also is doing some stationary biking. Well, some stationary biking with some very intense bumps, right? Because <laughs> as you know, like I, I play the piano like a deaf Beethoven. I, I, I pound. <laughs> I, I'm unsubtle about it. Yeah. So somewhere you're throwing off all the, <laughs> the software or you're helping to fix it. I don't know. So, so that Fitbit, it broke. The strap broke. And the inside portion of it, like the actual electronic guts... We're starting to go. It was getting so dim um, that I, I could no longer read. I would have to like. I would have to honestly like go into a dark room to read the cl- <laughs> like to, to read the time. Like, what are we doing? This is like, you know, in the 1400s, walking out to the garden to look at the uh, at the uh, what, what do you call those Sun, things? Sundial. The shadows at the sundial, right now. Like, I've devolved 600 years, like before the mechanized watch. So I, I went on on. Um, Amazon and I got this thing right here, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a Lina Lina neck something. I don't know. I is twenty nine something, and I'm kind of regretting it because um, Fitbit shows you flights, like how many flights you've gone yeah. in a, in a walk or a run or biking, and this doesn't do that. There's just like a bunch of little things that that just the engineers are better are better. Like the the app is that's all better. But but anyhow, um, so today as I was mowing, um, in the backyard. Um, it registering or not registering as biking on my new device. Not sure yet. Uh, I saw, um, I found my old Fitbit about to mow over it because Daphne had claimed it as her own. <laughs> like even at its smallest, it couldn't fit over her hand. But she had at some point chucked it off the top of the treehouse. And it was like lying under the treehouse in a bunch of pine cones. Yeah. Hey, we've had a crazy week. Um, just a bunch of weird things have happened to us. Um I don't think I told you. On baseball practice on Tuesday, um, Simon was pitching, um, my middle son, and uh, one of his classmates that he that he he's really good friends with. He was taunting in the batter's box. I'm going to strike you out in three pitches. Um, and this baseball practice, we were actually scrimmaging in another team at the end of practice, and um, and he didn't strike him out. In fact, the first pitch was hit very hard grounder at third base, and George was playing third. And George took one step to his left, good form, because sometimes he gets he tries to play grounders off to the side, but good form, and it hit a pebble, and it rocketed up and hit him in the forehead. And I was right beside third base, and um, balls make uh, baseballs make a certain sound when they hit heads, <laughs> oh. and it made that sound. Oh. And I mean, he went down like he had been shot, and uh, he was pretty brave, 
He actually batted the next inning. But um, he had there <laughs> several several times in my life now where my children have had been hit with baseballs, and it's been an object of amusement in days after that they've had like the stitching. You could see the stitching where the stitching <laughs> hit him, but it was perfectly centered on the forehead like the mark of the beast or something like it was it was it was centered there and so he's been in good cheer about it but but that was painful and scary i mean three inches lower and it shatters his nose right and we're going to the hospital yeah Yeah. Um, we had a tornado touchdown uh very nearby last night um and we were crowing too soon because we didn't lose power and so today we lost power (laughs) and um uh, so I, the way sometimes I know you've gotten a kick out of this. The way sometimes I explain, um, us, me, my personality to other people is, I say to understand me, you have to understand I grew up in the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. So there are two kinds of people. When you lose power, there are those who say, "Ah, oh, darn it! I guess we're gonna have to eat the ice cream before it melts," and there are those who say, "Do not go in the freezer or the fridge." <laughs> And I am the latter, right? I'm just like, try to salvage as much as possible. And so uh, our kids were, were half bemused and half confused. We had like an old-timey lunch. We're like, we went and we, we, we looked at like cans of food, which we like don't do anymore. It's very interesting. Like we eat really healthy and fresh stuff. We always have fresh produce. And they opened, I, I watched uh, like three very smart boys struggle to open up a can of corn. <laughs> it's just not a part of their life, you know? And uh, and then there, it occurred to them that's not a real meal. So uh, <laughs> then they opened up a can of beans. And then you and I grew up eating, like, cold beans all the time. And they're like, what is this? What is this? Oh. So they want to they heat it up. And uh, so then this is very college student what I did because the, uh, the gas stove, um, the gas will go on. But but the igniter is electric, mm-hmm. so they were fascinated. They thought I was like Rambo. I uh, got out matches and I held the matches up to the gas stove, um, which of course you and I grew up uh, doing sometimes at the cabin when that wasn't wouldn't light properly. But yeah, um, uh, yesterday it was super hot before the storm, and um, I was gonna fill up that 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 pool that little four by ten pool or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel was filling it up and I totally forgot about it. And, um, I did the thing where, um, when it occurs to you, you've screwed up, you exclaim, Oh no. And Kim, my wife always is like, is this a real Oh no, or a Kirky Oh no. Cause I guess sometimes I say, Oh no, when it's not a real Oh no. And I just sprint out to the backyard and, uh, it was like out of a cartoon, like cascading waters, like just pitching out of a collapsing pool. <laughs> And so now it's like um, it's like bulbous on the one side. The one side has lost a bit of structural integrity. So For, from what you 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 was it tilting? Was it not right? Tilting? Yeah. Well, the the, it, the the water as it was filling up was um, deciding which side was weaker, or maybe uh, the, hmm. you know our backyard is tilted, and there aren't there yeah. aren't a whole lot of flat spots. We had a flat-ish spot, and uh, but it, it, there still must have been. Um, 
it must not have been truly level. So it was uh, it poured off poured out of one side. Like it didn't mm. when it yeah. spilled over. It didn't spill over everything equally. Yeah. And, so. then, and then once it kind of spills <laughs> over, uh, it, like that side just kind of continues. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the kids are like cackling. They think it's hilarious. And I'm muttering to myself like a like an old man. Like so. Yeah. Now it now when we fill it, it'll 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 tilt. It'll tilt. Yeah. So that's that's what we got going on. Yeah. Should we take a look at the gospel, Christopher? Let's. Let's take a look at the gospel. <clears throat> Would you like me to read? I love it when you read. Yeah. All right. Today's gospel comes from, so we are in year A, and although we jumped around during during uh, the Easter season, uh, we are going to stick with Matthew for a while. And uh, I don't know if, if uh, we've, we've got a pretty packed show. Are we, are we going to talk at all about Ordinary Time, about this new season that we're in? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's kind of interesting because of the church calendar, how it can start at various times. So this is considered proper six. So uh, had Easter been very early, um, we would have ha- we would have started earlier in in Matthew. But we're this year we're starting Matthew here at chapter nine, starting at verses thirty five through uh, chapter ten, verse fifteen. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. 
require no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The word of the Lord. So uh, I'll go first. Uh, and, and I guess we don't need to wait till the theology segment to talk about the church calendar. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's not the, the, like we have these hermetically sealed segments and topics, uh, and and it does kind of have to do with 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 the gospel. Uh, well, we will be spending um, the summer and autumn in Matthew because of the church calendar, right? Yeah, yeah. And so this is it's something called ordinary time, and I've I've heard uh, kind of multiple teachings on it. Uh, one is is I, I think one that we need to keep primary in our head, and and that is that it's not to be contrasted with extraordinary, you know, that, oh, well, this is just kind of boring, you know, like, uh, you know, this is you know, boring time, like this ordinary time, and the rest of the year is extraordinary, even though uh, Robert Weber, in his book Ancient Future Worship, um, does make that comparison. But the word ordinary actually refers to ordinal numbers that is counted in propers, proper, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, um, and so when I said this was proper six, um, that uh, as the lectionary walks us in a three-year cycle through the Bible, um, year A being choosing the, the first gospel of Matthew uh, for us to, to walk our, our way through, um, th that that's what it's referring to. And, and that there is a thematic – so uh, sometimes we'll walk through books like we walk through Matthew, and we're also walking through Romans. Uh, and we usually there's an epistle that we that we walk through, and then – the Old Testament is usually thematically linked, and then the collect for the day is often uh, thematically linked. Do you, do you have um, do you have anything? Uh, what do you want to say about ordinary time, Kurt? Well, so I mean, ordinary unfortunately has uh, a, a meaning, a connotation in our language of uh, commonplace, mm -hmm. or uh, or as you said, boring, and that's a that's an unintentional. Um, it's an unintentional connotation that's not intended when we use that um, in the church. Uh, it's just to contrast it with, as you said, the propers. So in any service, um, the ordinary, uh, the ordinary stuff, as you said, the ordinal, like that is what doesn't shift. It's fixed. Whereas propers change. So there are propers for each season and for each Sunday. Um, there are proper prefaces before Holy Communion at the Eucharistic prayer at the beginning, and that changes seasonally or for feasts. Um, but then the rest of the Eucharistic prayer doesn't change, right? And so that would be um, ordinary, um, not because it's boring, but because it's fixed. And so we have um, sort of like, a, like watching a three-dimensional model of constellations rotating and the, uh, and the Earth rotating um, in the solar system. We have wheels within wheels in the church year. 
and um, the propers are the things that are in rotation, and and the ordinary, those things which are ordinary, are those things which are fixed, and that's all. That's all that that means. And so when we're in ordinary time, when we're when we're uh, when we see green, and there's green vestments and um, green paramounts and green altar linens, um, uh, all all it means is that we are not in <laughs> Advent or Lent or Easter or any other uh, feast day. That's all that means. And I just listened to a wonderful podcast uh, called Word and Table, uh, of which I remember very little, but it's a very good <laughs> podcast produced by our theologian in, in, our, in our diocese. Uh, and it just recently became a weekly podcast. And they just did an episode on, uh, I think, on seasonal colors. And again, I don't remember that much about it, but I think they talked about green. Is green the... Uh, I'm afraid to say this because <laughs> I'm, I'm either going to get it right or or 180 degrees wrong. But is is it kind of the the, the color of growth and um, are there agricultural? Um, so my understanding is, um, if the origins are murky and that's not how it began, that is certainly how we've come to understood it, understand it. Um, okay. Yes. That, so that is that... that is accurate. Rather than me being like that's the thing they said, it's not. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so now, so uh, and we'll be in this season, this this season after Pentecost. Um, that we'll count. This is the second Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, it, you know, last Sunday was was a, a principal feast day. We've got a principal feast day coming up on All Saints, um, and and the last Sunday of the church year is Christ the King, which is the last Sunday before Advent. Um, so we'll be in this season for a long time. So uh, jumping to, uh, to uh, the, the gospel reading this week from the book of Matthew, it's interesting uh, in each of the gospels, I, I know certainly in Matthew and Mark, um, what the, the content of Jesus' message is, is, is what? It is Are you proclaiming me? the gospel oh, okay. of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We see that right away in verse 35. Of chapter nine, but then um, in chapter ten, uh, we see uh, verse seven and proclaim as you go, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is at hand." And what Mark adds is, uh, "Repent and believe the good news." The kingdom of he heaven is at hand, and I, I think uh, we have a hard time understanding this uh, as American Christians that the kingdom is here. Now, we have a sense that it's already here and also not yet consummated fully, that, that the kingdom, the life to come, that the, the kingdom will be fully uh, here, that there are parts of it that, so uh, we see this as, as injustice uh, continues, uh, as, as, as pain and suffering and death and injustice continue. Uh, th those are parts of, of God's kingdom that, uh, that have yet to be purged away. But... Uh, the kingdom is, in fact, already here. That Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom is here, and his kingdom that he proclaims is a very different place. And uh, as I as I bike today, I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon. Uh, he he just uh, preached a, uh, or I don't know how, when he preached it. I don't know if he's currently preaching, but the the one that's that's latest on his feed um, was a fantastic sermon uh, in in a series, and he does an interesting ministry in New York City to kind of these. Uh, very sophisticated, urban, urbanized, 
urban listeners who are oftentimes very secular and come in and and so he wants to address kind of big cultural questions and uh the 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 question he addressed in this sermon was injustice hasn't christianity been an instrument for oppression and it's his assertion that uh of, of course um our track we will never um try to argue based on the track record of the church uh but we, what we want to rather proclaim is that um, Jesus is for the oppressed. And that's why um, it's interesting that, that Marxism hasn't necessarily caught on uh, in, in poorer cultures, uh, but in fact Christianity has. That um, secular uh, people have tried to spread um, kind of Marxist ideology in, in, in Latin America, and instead what, what we found is, is a uh, revival of, of, of orthodox belief in Jesus Christ. Um, because Jesus is good news for the oppressed. And it has to do with something that I mentioned before, uh, of, of that, like, uh, if you're a rich person, if you're a middle-class person, there is a sense of of, uh, of accomplishment, of, of, of like, yeah, I've, I've worked hard and I've earned all this stuff. And uh, as you approach them with the gospel, they approach religion as something you work hard and you get rewarded for which is antithetical to the gospel, is the gospel uh, that we come to God with nothing but our own sin, and we are uh, grafted into the vine. We are adopted as sons and daughters, and we are uh, given this royal treatment that we are um, entered into the kingdom, and and that's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is a place uh, where uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which occurs just a few chapters before uh, today's reading, where, where Jesus proclaims in the Beatitudes uh, these va kingdom values. Blessed are the poor. Um, blessed are the meek. And uh, it, it's a, Christ's kingdom is one um, where uh, there is a special place for, for the marginalized. And uh, that's something that pushes against the, every fiber of our being as Americans. We are bootstrap people. Um, we want to work hard, and we want to get credit for it, and um, that's not what, what Christ's kingdom is like. And uh, another thing uh, that's important as, as we look at this passage is just to understand kind of uh, the, the particularly Jewish context here, uh, that, that the book of Ezekiel uh, has this imagery of Jesus being uh, the, the good shepherd uh, who— regathers his flock uh, whether that's um, the the whether that is the Jewish people in the Babylonian captivity and God regathering them back to um, the promised land or whether that is uh, what Jesus is doing here where Jesus is saying you people have been trying to make yourselves right with God through the sacrificial system and through the law. But Jesus, in fact, if last week we looked at the Great Commission, this is kind of the lesser commission, where Jesus is like, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to Samaria, go to the Jewish people and um, proclaim that the kingdom is here. And and uh, and he looks at his people, and there's this there's this uh, pastoral imagery of, of, uh, of, of shepherd and sheep, that he looks at them and he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And we have a teaching on prayer, don't we? Mm -hmm. that, that it's God's desire. Um, it's God's desire to send out laborers into the harvest, and God is doing that actively. Then why does He call us to pr 
pray for that. That he. It's interesting that God calls us to pray for the very thing that God wants to do anyway. That there's something really interesting that God is doing by doing that. By saying, um, I already know what you want before you ask it. And yet, I want you to pray for it. Uh, and I already want to bring in the nations. I want to har- – there's all this agricultural imagery of harvest, of, of, of sending out these, these um, apostles into the harvest to bring in this harvest. Uh, God's, gonna, God's doing that work. And he's like, I still want you to pray for it. I want you to pray earnestly. Um, and, and, and part of that is, is, is that that aligns our heart with God's heart. As we pray for the things which God is doing, um, it aligns our heart with his. And we have compassion for those people that are outside the church walls that uh, are like sheep. We should have compassion. They're lost and they're helpless, Kirk. Uh, yeah. And uh, and of course, the, this division that, that uh, Jesus mentions uh, has to do primarily, I think, with, with the Jewish context of that they're going to go out and they're going to proclaim this kingdom and that Jesus is this king of this uh, new kingdom. And um, some people will believe and some people will, will stay in kind of in the old covenant and that will divide families. Um, and uh, uh, that that's just going to be a thing that's going to happen. Now, that, that may happen with us. There may be, uh, uh, thankfully in our culture, that's not a super divisive thing, but in other cultures, converting to Christianity may cost you your family. And uh, I think what's great about that, and I'm going to just close with this, um, is, is this promise, uh, all this familial language that we have, in uh, what it means to be a baptized Christian, that you are baptized um, into this new, uh, this new family, uh, and there's this uh, boy. There's this psalm that talks about the barren being made a mother, and sometimes that is in a an actual flesh and blood sense. That in Christ, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the barren um, are made mothers, that God touches those wombs and makes them not barren. But sometimes that's true in the church, uh, that uh, that the way that, that God has organized his faith is that uh, we have this whole generation of spiritual parents that you and I do, Kirk, um, mothers and fathers mm-hmm. in the faith, and that those uh, who have not been given the gift of children— whether they are single or whether they're um, a married couple that are infertile, um, that God has blessed them with um, many spiritual children. And God has not just blessed them, he's entrusted them with spiritual children that they might raise them in the faith um, in, a, in a very real sense that they are parents to them. So, Well, that echoes uh, something else from St. Matthew's Gospels, which is, uh, is, this, is it Matthew where he's he's asked, uh, he, he with a... We, mm. Imagine a glint in his eye, looks around and says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who follow me, right? There's a sense that um, uh, you're entering into uh, a deep, rich, your final, your true family mm-hmm. when you enter into the church mm-hmm. um, and you follow Christ. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're, absolutely. We're, um, yeah, there, there's, there's the saying, the secular saying, and, and maybe it's associated with the mafia, that blood is thicker than water. Um, and Christianity right. is the exact opposite. Water is water. thicker than blood. Yeah, thicker than blood. That that the that we, as we pass through the waters of baptism, that we enter this this fullness of uh, that's far thicker than blood. Yeah, and uh, as many um, increasing number of Americans no longer grow up in in homes in which there's a mother and a father that that love them and care for them, 
Um, this is a, a real message of healing and hope mm. that, that we have and that the gospel has. Yes. Is um, um, we have a true heavenly father who doesn't disappoint and doesn't leave. Um, and you're baptized into his family and adopted as his own. Um, mm. And that um, I, I've had... I've heard people speak very movingly about that, actually, mm. um, that sense yeah. of a reliable father. Yeah. Um, it's, in, it's interesting, um, this kingdom language. I think I always say we grew up at the end of something. Um, I, I, at the end of Christendom in America, um, I think a lot of this kingdom language didn't necessarily make sense. Um, what is the mm. kingdom? The kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? And I think now that um, we're entering an era in which the... the popular culture, the dominant culture, is a little befuddled with and perhaps a little hostile to, to um, the gospel, that this now makes more sense. Um, I, I think uh, there were times when mid-century, 20th century commentaries um, over-abstracted the kingdom, and you walked away from reading it or hearing a sermon on it, and you didn't understand what you had read or heard. Um, wait, where's the kingdom? It's here, but not there, but here, but not there, and what are its marks? And and I think perhaps now I might oversimplify it when I read this, but... Um, the kingdom is the church. Um, I mean, that is where the Beatitudes are true. Um, that is where you find the meek that will inherit the earth, the poor in spirit, um, where we're able to, um, where we see clearly God's moral vision. Um, so um, I'm, I'm d definitely open to uh, kind of rebuke and new teaching on that. But, but I, I think a lot of Christians have read these passages um, in the Gospels, um, proclaiming the, the coming of the kingdom and heard sermons on it and walked away not knowing. It's, it's, I think, very easy to over-abstract it. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I, I've never taken any classes on it, but that just seems to me, seems to me to be kind of intuitive. Um, where is the place where these things are true, where Christ is present in his word and in his sacraments, um, in the church that, uh, that he came and that the Holy Spirit um, upholds continually. So I don't know. Um, uh, what else did I notice here? Oh, uh, apostolic poverty. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or two sandals or a staff. Um, Christianity in America is increasingly a, um, a middle-class phenomenon as uh, lower classes are, uh, are becoming less religious, sadly. Um, many of the people for whom, I mean, uh, Christianity is a balm for all souls, but many of the people for whom it would be a particular balm, um, it is no longer plausible. There aren't really, you know, good functioning churches in many working class communities or poor communities, or it's just when there's family breakdown, who's there to take you to church or bring, um, so, um, we read this in, in the suburbs and, um, we should remember that, uh, that our Lord's ethic was an ethic of, 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 of generous and painful giving. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't say this as a rebuke to you or me or our listeners. I, I just a remember of, uh, a, rem a reminder of Jesus' moral vision and, uh, the, the very concept of charity, um, is uniquely Christian and where Christianity has, Christianity has gone, charity has followed. So hospitals, Orphanages; these are all Christian phenomena, um, and those things recede where Christianity recedes as well. We've seen that in Northern Africa as Christianity's disappeared. So um, uh, this is this is kind of a mark of of Christian culture, and we we need to remember it. Um, I also tie this in. Uh, I think of the Beatitudes, 
which we began with at the very beginning of our of our podcast. I think one of our first episodes, the Beatitudes, was was one of the lessons, and we talked about uh, anxiety over God's provision. I think about that a lot. I carry that with me. So, not not the Beatitudes, but part of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm yeah. sorry. Yep, yeah, the Sermon. On the, the Mount. Beatitudes are a particular part of the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Where Jesus That's says, right. "Blessed are." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we have a uh, we have um, yeah, can, yeah. Can I respond? Uh, you should respond. Because <laughs> I I, I want to be a devil's advocate for those who are skeptical of the church. Um, sure. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, who say, wait a second, that's the kingdom. Um, isn't that the place where you know people are abused? Um, and uh, it's it's easy as someone who is uh, has been a part of a church either in leadership uh, or on, on a board. Um, I've witnessed uh, people behaving more childish in church yeah, uh, with, with non-kingdom values sure. um, than they would in, in polite society. They, they act uh, in ways inside the church that they never would. So would, would you respond to that? That's the kingdom? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true and that's fair. Um, human nature is evenly distributed. So when humans enter the church, um, they don't cease to be human. Um, but, um, but the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the sacraments begin to go to, go to work on you and, uh, begin to reform and remake. And, um, we, we have to believe that that's true. Um, otherwise we have, we have no other hope. I guess that, that would be, that would be my response. And, um, the church will break people's hearts and will drive a certain number of people away because it, it remains full of, well, people. <laughs> so, and that is this side of, this side of the grave, I, that's just uh, kind of a sad, uh, tragic, inescapable fact. And we shouldn't deny that that's true as well, because I think um, many, many of those who grew up in the church and experienced pain and abuse and or whatever um, uh, are doubly hurt then by the denial um, by other Christians that that ever existed or that ever happened. So you're right. We should not deny that that is so. Yeah, and and it's actually kind of a beautiful thing that that the doors are thrust open wide and and sinners and and all sorts of people are welcomed in. It's it's a truly beautiful thing. Uh, you know, we never want to tolerate a sinful behavior inside you know the church. We always want to point towards Jesus, um, towards uh, repentance and belief, uh, daily repentance and belief of, of confession and 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 seeking to uh, conform our lives to Him. Let's say uh, this. Let's say this. Um, the church is not the kingdom, but the kingdom is found in the church. How's that? Can you unpack that a little bit? Um, not all of the church is the kingdom. There are parts of the church that are um, apostate or dry, um, uh, where people can go without um, mm. hearing and being delivered by a transforming gospel. But yet, if you're going to find the kingdom, it will still be within the church. Um, so um, so the, if you're looking for this, um, <laughs> don't go looking outside the walls. You may be disappointed by what you find inside the walls, but um, you're not going to find um, God's— Well, and, and, and I think you've uh, got a, a sacramental— uh, thing that you have to say uh, as well, as far as the kingdom being that 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 the blessings of the sacraments of of Christ's presence, his his spiritual food through the body and the blood, right? Right. 
Which... I'm actually not. I'm not trying to segue. Oh my gosh, it was such a great segue. <laughs> and, Which... and one of the reasons that I'm not trying to segue is because I have one more thing to say before we cap this off. But but um, okay. <laughs> do you have something to say about that, Kirk? About uh, just like uh, you're n- you're not going to find these uh, this the spiritual benefits of of his body and blood outside. Or, or even well, um, right, right, right. Yeah. So the Gospels teach very clearly how the benefits of Christ's uh, crucifixion, uh, his resurrection, and his ascension are applied to believers, and it is through the waters of baptism, and through his body and his blood at Holy Communion, and that is the place where the benefits of his passion and death, and resurrection are poured out upon the faithful, and the place you find that is in the church. Uh, the, thank you, Kirk. Now, I guess the one thing that 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 I want to, uh, to, to really highlight before we move on, because I think this is actually quite important, in in Matthew chapter ten, verses five through fifteen, we see these instructions for his disciples as he sends them out, uh, and, and Kirk mentions that you know they are not to take money, um, but of course they are to be fed because that's what they deserve. Uh, what does it say? Um, the labor deserves his food, um, mm-hmm. but they're not to, they're not necessarily to make money. And it's interesting uh, how many American pastors are, in fact, wealthy. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 this American idea of success um, is is something that's measured by wealth or even by um, attendance. You know, uh, um, th- things like that. That that oh well, this is a very successful pastor. Look. He's very wealthy. He sold books. Uh, he lives in a in a mansion. Uh, he uh, look at how big the church is. Look how beautiful the church is. And, and yet, uh, so there's two parts of this. I think number one is is just like there's not a financial benefit to this. Uh, that's not the the point. Now a laborer deserves his food. Um, and and Paul has interesting things to say about this as well. Um, in 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 the epistles as far as um. People working for the church deserving uh, to be paid, but the second part I think is is uh, what does this say about success as far as people responding? Does it say anything about like oh wow like that's so great if if uh, if uh, if you have uh, this fruit of of this effort? Does Jesus say anything about that? Um, no, it's just instructions. He says, greet it. <laughs> Yeah. If they respond, kind of stay with them and kind of nurture their their faith. Um, if they don't respond, kind of shake shake the dust off your feet. It, it and it's as, as simple as that. And um, so, I, I don't know. For those who are kind of very proud of of their spiritual fruit, uh, f- uh, and, and I, I guess that's a very churchy word of of maybe their attendance of their church. And now here here's the thing: is that there are churches that are very small. Um, that are pastored by pretty awful people, and that's why the churches are small. Um, so, so like we should never take pride. Oh, like we've driven all these people away. Um, but likewise, um, we also shouldn't be uh, super proud because, like, look at this big thing that we built. Because um, this is something that we're, we're we're called to do, and then and and God kind of adds the fruit to that. And and so that that was something that I think uh, Stanley Hauerwas pointed out when as I was reading his commentary on this is just our American views of success and and how broken those are. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. But I, I mean, I think I think this whole idea of kingdom and sacraments really has something. So uh, uh, transition, transition. 
For our theology segment uh, today, um, we would like to look at the Feast of Corpus Christi. Um, today that is... That city way on the southern tip of Texas? That's exactly right. Yeah. Named after, named after Corpus Christi. Yeah, today is Thursday after Trinity Sunday, um, which is uh, always the, um, the Feast of Corpus Christi. Um, and uh, this goes back to... Aquinas, uh, right? Thomas Aquinas, who um, proposed this, agitated this to uh, to the Pope. <laughs> um, Corpus Christi in Latin means the body of Christ. Um, an, another another name for this is uh, the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Um, and this is uh, this is a feast, a, a a feast in the Catholic Church. Um, uh, well, there are some Anglicans that celebrate it, and and we'd like we'd like to talk about that because there's a lot of ambiguity in in our circles um, about this. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, you're right. Saint Thomas Aquinas did propose this in the 13th century. Um, it acquired momentum, and uh, and became within the next uh, 100 years was instantiated as a major feast day. It's not a holy day of obligation. Um, uh, but it is, but it is a major feast day. And if you're um, online, if you're an online Christian today, you'll see everywhere pictures and videos of uh, Eucharistic processions. Um, and what is a Eucharistic procession? You might you might ask if you're uh, kind of not in Catholic circles. Um, and this is this is what we'd like to talk about a little bit today. Um, a Eucharistic procession is um, something that happens when you celebrate Holy Communion, but then you're not done. Um, after the prayer of consecration at the altar, um, uh, the uh, the elements and and I speak out of ignorance because I've never been at a Eucharistic procession. Um, it's just uh, just the uh, just the bread, correct? Not the wine. Uh, I would think so. It's called Corpus Christi, not yeah. um, like so. So it's put or blood of Christ, yeah. right? It's put in a monstrance, um, which is just a, a receptacle through which you're able to view it. And then it is um, carried about in a procession. Um, and all those who are in the procession and who see it um, are, are in some way benefiting from it, it are celebrating it. Um, and we have, we have um, as Anglicans, we have, we have particularly concern, particular concerns and objections about this. And so we want to kind of go through this um, uh, logically and, uh, and and talk about why. First of all, um, Holy Communion, uh, the, the, let's go back to the Reformation. All right. In the 16th century, um, the English reformers had, as N.T. Wright characterizes it, two particular purposes um, to reform the church. Uh, number one was uh, recentering justification by faith. And that we can talk about that another time, um, a, a right and just doctrine. And uh, the second thing was demystifying the mass. And here's what I mean by that. Um, uh, a, a 15th or 16th century mass in England um, would have been, uh, as a layperson, you would have been behind what's called a rood screen. 
Um, that It's a highly ornate wooden screen that would have separated the nave from the sanctuary. The nave is where the worshipers are. Um, we often in America call that the sanctuary. The sanctuary in a church is actually um, what's beyond the altar rails. So that's where the, the clergy and the altar would be. And you wouldn't actually see what's at the altar. And oftentimes you wouldn't, you wouldn't he- even hear it. Because most of the Eucharistic prayer, the prayer of consecration, what was called the canon of the Mass, was what was called a private prayer. So uh, it was said quietly by the priest. And um, then bells would ring, indicating the moment of consecration, and the priest would hold up, elevate the consecrated elements, um, the, the wafers, um, which were... Uh, which were bread over which the prayer of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, were prayed. Um, and that's where we get the uh, the nonsense phrase, hocus pocus, um, which uh, the Latin is escaping me right now. What is hoc meum corpus est? This is my body. Uh, forgive me, dear listener, if your Latin is good. <laughs> and uh, the elements would be upraised, and the way that the rood screen would be set up, you would be able to see the the um, the body of Christ at that moment. And so that was the moment that you as the worshiper were waiting for. You're waiting for that moment. You'd have been yourself reciting our fathers. You'd been, you had been during the meantime, going through the rosary, kind of having private prayers. So um, the church would actually be kind of a noisy place of a bunch of people kind of whispering, talking quietly, praying, um, personal prayers. And then at that moment, everyone is like standing in their tippet toes or kind of like leaning on people's shoulders to see that moment because that was the moment of blessing, of benediction upon you if you could see Christ's body because you weren't going to partake of communion. You were not going to actually eat it. That was only for the clergy. Um, it was only at Christmas or Easter that you would receive communion in your mouth. Um, that Those reforms in the Roman Catholic Church wouldn't come later. So the demystification of the Mass was to um, have uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday Holy Communion for the worshiper, for the laity, in bread and wine, the body of Christ given for them, um, eaten, which is what is actually commanded at the Last Supper. Take, eat. This is my body, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? Not, um, and so I'm going to read one of our one of our articles, Article 28, if I can find it here. Um, I had it up, which uh, which explains why uh, uh, the Church of England, in its reforms in the 16th century, um, uh, did not uh, they they abolished the Feast of Corpus Christi. All right, so I have it up here. Of the Lord's Supper, Article 28. Um, The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have amongst themselves one to another, but rather it is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, insomuch that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith receive the same, the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ. Likewise, the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Transubstantiation or the change of the substance of bread and wine in the supper of the Lord cannot be proved by holy writ, but is repugnant to the plain words of Scripture, overthroweth the nature of a sacrament, and hath given occasion to many superstitions. The body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner, and the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. Now, here's the crucial line at the very end of this article. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. 
Um, the word reserved there refers to a practice in uh, many churches of celebrating the Lord's Supper and then not eating all of it, but putting some of it um, in a cabinet, often called a tabernacle or in a box called a pix, um, in, which, in which it's saved for later. And it's clear at the Last Supper, um, the, bread was, the bread was eaten, and it's to be eaten for the benefit of, of the worshiper. Um, so Christopher, I've kind of, kind of monologued here. Um, but this is, um, we have a pocket, a segment of our own communion. Um, we are a large, wide, sprawling church with uh, different, different kinds of churchmanship. And there's a, there's a pocket of uh, Anglican churchmanship called Anglo-Catholicism, which I have many sentiments for. I, I, I don't know, you could probably call me that. Um, uh, which for, for whom this is now a feast day. And it's interesting, in no Church of England prayer book since the original prayer book in 1549 um, has Corpus Christi been a feast day. In fact, today, this year, today is the Feast of St. Barnabas, <laughs> June 11th. So I, I'm kind of wondering how some Anglo-Catholics are dealing with that. Um, but I think I've kind of explained why, just on the plain meaning of the Last Supper and the plain meaning of the reading of the articles, um, the purpose of Holy Communion and how the benefits of Holy Communion are conveyed, conveyed to the believer are by, by eating, <laughs> not and, mm -hmm. and not by gazing upon. So I'm sorry, I've monologued. Thoughts? No, no. That was all, all very good, uh, very good. The, the one thing I want to add with the demystification of of the mass uh, is the the very simple and obvious thing for us uh, is putting it in the language of the people. Amen. Yeah. Because because the people could not understand what was going on, and and sometimes uh, many of the priests didn't even yes. know Latin all that well. So I mean they, they were doing their best, but uh, but uh, putting putting worship in the language of the people was was a crucial crucial thing. Did I send you a video of um, uh, Cardinal and Archbishop of of Boston? Um, saying mass at Kennedy's funeral, yeah, yeah, and it, it was clear that he didn't know the Latin, right? So I think slovenly Latin, <laughs> like, uh, existed in the church in high places up into the 20th century. He was like, <laughs> "This is awful, listener," but I'm going to do this. He's like, "Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus, plenis uncele eterna, gloria, gloria tua, hosanna." Yeah, it was like in um, mid-century. Like three martinis in Boston Club, I don't know. So I'm sorry, forgive me, but I interrupted <laughs> you, Christopher. <laughs> no, but uh, it, it, let us not lose the the significance of the fact that nobody knew what was going on, and simply putting worship in the language of the people was a crucial reform. Um, in addition to what you were saying, because people didn't know what was going on. All they knew is that the, at the elevation of the host, something is happening that's really good and really exciting. And um, but yeah, and and uh, I just want to re-highlight that last sentence of of what you read. Uh, it is not to be the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved. So you talked about that, like we don't save it and and you know put it in a tabernacle and turn the light on and and you know uh, and some people would you know genuflect at, at that and and kind of like we don't seek Christ's presence in in this um, in this consecrated host um, and therefore. Uh, we don't, and I mean, it's, it's, it's spelled out here. It is not to be carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. And I, I don't know, uh, it would be interesting to have a Roman Catholic on yeah. here to describe Eucharistic adoration, which is a very common thing. A huge uh, part of their piety. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, to, to kind of gaze upon. And, and actually, so I don't know if they would say that they're worshiping it, but they certainly seek Christ's presence in it. And, and yeah, like, and no. certainly spiritual benefit from it. Yeah. And, and uh, that this sacrament was made as, 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 a, as a simple meal to be consumed. And I wanted just a, a very, very brief uh, taxonomy of, of kind of uh, how different traditions see Holy Communion. Uh, I, I don't know if we have time for it. but Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I can, this is, this is kind of like in my wheelhouse. I love this stuff. So I yeah. can, we can go from low to high. Should we go from low to high? Mm, high to low? I want to go, I want to go high to low. Okay. Um, but, but I guess it's worth just um, talking about, um, it's interesting to say, yeah, to have a, uh, when I looked at the Wikipedia article on Corpus Christi, uh, it talked about how it's a it's a feast day of of the Holy Eucharist, and that's interesting to me to have that. And then it says it's celebrating the real presence, and we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But uh, it it's it's kind of apart from the. It's interesting that it's kind of a celebration of of some. I mean, we have Monday Thursday in which. Christ institutes Holy Communion, and then most Sundays after that, we have we celebrate Holy Communion as this perpetual remembrance, um, this thing that we continue to do in memory of, of Christ. It almost seems superfluous to have a separate uh, feast day in, in my mind. But the, the the one thing that I want to emphasize is 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 we as Christians may disagree on what exactly we are consuming when we consume uh, Holy Communion. But I, I do want to uh, generously uh, speak out against the memorialist position. I, I really do, as a modern invention. Uh, and, and so maybe that's really harsh language. But uh, so, so to, to, to briefly go high to low, uh, uh, Roman Catholics believe that in Holy Communion there is a uh, a change in substance that, uh, and some Catholics would talk about a an ontological a being like a priest when he is when he is ordained. There is an ontological change in him that like uh, I I don't know I, I I don't say this mockingly but like uh, in that like he has this new almost power to consecrate like it's almost like a superpower to zap the stuff and and for it to change. Uh, substance into body and blood. And, and would you say a little bit more about transubstantiation? Yes. Yeah, so this is um, Aristotle had been lost to the West and was um, when the Moors invaded Spain, um, Aristotle had had remained in the Islamic world and was kind of the, 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 the philosopher in the Middle East and Northern Africa. And so as as via Moorish Spain, um, as Aristotle is reintroduced into the University of Paris, which is where Aquinas is in the 13th century, and um, Europe is re-encountering this brilliant ancient Greek philosopher, um, his uh, philosophical categories are, are kind of the, the best tool at hand. And so unfortunately, we use Aristotle to um, yeah. <laughs> interpret uh, the Roman Catholic Church kind of decided to use Aristotle to really rigidly interpret uh, Christ's words of institution. And so what, the, what, what happens in transubstantiation, um, according to Roman Catholic dogma, is that uh, 
the the uh, the accidents of bread and wine remain. That is the appearance, right? The crustiness of the bread, and the the tang of the wine, um, but the substance is entirely annihilated. Um, and so there is no more bread. There is no more wine. It is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Um, and uh, and and I, listener, you might you might think I'm I'm splitting hairs um, when when I say this, but uh, Scripture doesn't command us to um, do that kind of philosophical slicing and dicing. Um, uh, we we believe because our Lord says it is so, and and the means whereby his body and blood are present. Um, I, I don't think we have to be overly precise upon. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of my objection um, there. Uh, Martin Luther quit, once quipped, are we saying that at the Annunciation that the womb of Mary was annihilated when the body of Christ entered, but only the accidents of, 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 of uterus and womb remained? But the substance was gone because our Lord was present. I mean, that's the logical application, right? It's it's a crude, very Martin Luther esque thing move to do, but it does highlight kind of the absurdity. Um, uh, and and of course, we would say at the Annunciation that that um, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, was fully present, and yet Mary's womb was fully Mary's womb, right? And so I think we can say the same thing about bread and wine. So the next, the next descending a rung of ladder from the highest, then would be kind of the uh, the, the traditional confessional Lutheran position, which is that Christ is present as uh, I think the, the Book of Concord says in with and under the elements. That is a very kind of Lutheran phrase in with and under, um, yep. and I, I I appreciate how they don't try to overly explain it. Um, and so they say that Christ is truly, really present. Martin Luther, uh, there's a story bodily. of a, bodily present. Yep, bodily present. Bodily, yes. Yep, there's a story of Martin Luther, an old Martin Luther who's already be- becoming feeble, um, uh, shaking and dropping the cup of wine at Holy Communion. And he got down on arthritic knee and licked it all up. Um, because if you believe that Christ is really pres- bodily present there, you're, you, you're not going to just let it stay there in the church floor. So um, then descending a rung down from that would kind of be what, what we, we've inherited um, in through the Anglican divines, which is the Calvinist position that um, Christ is present in his spiritual nature, but not in his bodily nature because his bodily nature remains at the right hand of the throne of God. And uh, Calvin used the language of ascending at Holy Communion when we're at the altar. We are brought up, ascending into heaven and commune there. Um, now that strikes me, this, uh, this is just my kind of personal asterisk, as extra biblical. It's a lovely stirring, stirring picture, but I, I don't know where we find that, perhaps in Revelation. Um, maybe we, and maybe we should have a, a good Calvinist on at some point to kind of talk mm. about that. Um, I, I personally kind of, uh, the, the Lutheran view kind of really resonates with me. Um, uh, and there's also, if you, if, if, I don't know how many of our listeners are real, are, are, are Anglicans, but if you look at our articles and you look at our prayer book, we have a great breadth and some ambiguity. So our church body actually contains people who believe in transubstantiation and people who believe in what we're about to say, which is memorialism. Um, and then the lowest rung would be memorialism, which is, uh, Christ is not neither bodily nor spiritually present but we eat uh, and drink to remember his death and passion. 
So how's that for a, for a quick trip from high to low in terms of views? And that's, that's good. It's concise. It's quick. Um, I, I would quibble just a little bit, but probably wouldn't have anything interesting to say to, mm-hmm. to, to, to divide the Reformed and Calvinistic view from the Anglican and say the Anglican's a little bit higher um, in that um, almost most Anglicans, if pressed, would, would acknowledge a real presence um, that, that uh, in a way that uh, a Reformed person would not. And also there's this interesting thing that's inserted, which is uh, the supper is eaten by faith. Yes. Um, which is, uh, would probably, is a whole other discussion. But Well, yeah, so that, I mean, there, there are two basic intuitions about how Christ is present. Um, there's a consecrationist and a receptionist. So a consecrationist intuition is that it is, if the words of institution are prayed over the elements, this is my body, this is my blood, um, then Christ is present. Um, and the receptionist intuition is that um, if the elements are eaten and drunk by a faithful heart, by a believing heart, then Christ is present. Um, and uh, and <laughs> speaking of Anglican squishy ambiguity, we yeah. see both language yeah. in our both in our prayer book and in our um, and in our uh, articles. Like for example, when you give. Uh, when you give communion, what do you say? Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith, by faith. with thanksgiving, right? <laughs> so it's a mouthful, to, but then we kind of confess both things. So we're we're kind of straddling a line there, but. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so to, to say about the memorial's position, um, it, it, it's one that... Uh, so uh, Paul writes in First Corinthians that that um, that the 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 cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation? Um, he uses language of participation with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, um, the, that scripture in particular, um, but also John chapter six, I am the bread of life, where Jesus used all this language of feeding on Him. Um, Your fathers ate man in the wilderness. Um, and, you know, I am the bread that came down from heaven, and those who eat of my flesh and drink my blood um, dwell in me and I in them. Uh, all this language we see in—it's in, in, uh, it, interesting how memorialists typically are biblical literalists, mm-hmm. and yet they look at John 6 and say, no, that's metaphorical. Right. <laughs> that's better—where mm-hmm. um—that's uh, it, it, that, that's a hard— uh, I'm trying to think of the the colloquialism that I'm trying to get. That's a hard. Well, also memorialists. Well, collect. uh, Remember what you're going to say. Well, I I say this since I rudely interrupted you. Um, Memorialists um, really like to lean on the phrase "Do this in remembrance of me," which in the Synoptic Gospels only occurs in Luke. Um, Mark and Matthew do not say that. Um, They say, "Drink this uh, for the forgiveness of sins." so it's not drink this so that you remember my saving work, mm-hmm. um, but drink this so that you will receive the benefits of my saving work. And this is what we mean when we say that Christianity is an incarnate, incarnational religion, mm-hmm. not, uh, not like um, Islam where Allah is on high and we are below and never the twain shall meet and we quake in fear of the coming judgment, but rather um, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, bled, died, and now continues in his incarnation um, to physically 
transfer those benefits of his saving acts to us. Just as the innocent lamb at Passover, his blood was physically daubed upon the door. Um, so our Lord's blood, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, his blood is physically daubed on the lintels of our soul. We eat him. Martin Luther said, Holy Communion is like this. It is as if a wolf ate a lamb and then exploded and all that was left was the lamb. We are the wolf and we partake of the lamb and in doing so we'll become lambs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, uh, it, it is not, memory is not enough. I know I'm, I'm like now ranting, right? But it is, we must, we must have the lamb to become what he wishes us to become. Are you trying to say that matter matters? Matter matters, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and this, this is kind of a, just a, we see that throughout scripture of, of like, Judaism was a bloody religion. Um, that on the Day of Atonement, that, you know, that, that people would hold the offering as the blood, uh, you know, poured out of it. Uh, and and C.S. Lewis in his book, Till We Have Faces, does an interesting thing um, with religion in the book, the religion of this uh, kind of fictional realm of, of um, kind of tricking the, uh, the contemporary reader into... Uh, there's kind of this cultish religion uh, of like mm -hmm. blood and sacrifice in the temple. And then there's kind of this uh, kind of more spiritual uh, detached uh, from, from the flesh and blood. Um, and, and he does this interesting thing in the book in, in um, as you, as you read it, you become, you should begin to appreciate that. Like we are, we are uh, the, 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 cultish not not in the like we're a cult but like of like the, the bloody like like this was a like our uh, the sacrifice for our sins was a costly one of 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 christ's body and blood shed for us and um th that um that this physicality from our baptism passing through water and and our continued uh participation it's interesting for the sacrament for so we have two sacraments the sacrament of initiation and then the continuing one and Jesus could have picked anything for that continuing sacrament. He could have said, go to the top of a mountain and, you know, pray standing on one leg. Uh, but instead, it's something as simple as a meal, as e something as mundane as eating and drinking. Something physical. Right. Uh, not really spiritual, but physical. Well, we see that um, when, is it Elisha? Um, Haman, uh, the, the, the general... Yeah. Yeah. comes to Elisha with leprosy and says, heal me. And he says, go swim in the Jordan. It's like, what? Like, I have, we have clean rivers where I come from. Like, what, that's the thing? That's the thing? Yeah. And what they're... is it, the servant, <laughs> it's Haman's servant who's like, hey, if he'd given you something really, really difficult to do, yeah, you would have done it. you would have done All it. All you gotta do is go in the river and wash and um, just, just do it. There's something about our mulish, sinful natures where we are Haman, where we look at the bread and the wine. Sometimes we're like, this? This? And, uh, and Elisha says to us, yeah, that. <laughs> our Lord well, says, and, yeah, and, that. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have these recurring themes in the scripture of matter mattering and physicality being important, that Christians are materialists, that we believe in the resurrection of the flesh, and, and like that ma matter matters. That's what I mean by materialist. We're not consumerists. We're materialists. Matter is important. Yeah. We don't desire for to die so that our bodies can be so we can be disembodied souls, but you know we desire the the um, for God to come down to us um, and and 
God declares uh, the, the dwelling place of God is with man. Um, Amen. Amen. Yes. And uh, the conclusion that I had, uh, I just lost. We were talking about uh, uh, physical physicality, and what was the other thing that you just said? Um, oh, the recurring themes. Uh... Well, okay. So while you're thinking, um, there's one other re really rated R uh, example of this, which is Zipporah, who converts um, Moses's wife. Um, she, uh, Moses kind of in a cowardly move makes her circumcise, um, their sons <laughs> who weren't, who weren't right. Who weren't Hebrews. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it's, this is a thing that Moses has to do before he goes back to Egypt to do the work he's been commissioned to do. Right. And, uh, mm -hmm. this is by the way, a, a just a, a, a proof that like these were real people. This is a, I think, a sign of the truth of the scriptures. It doesn't paper this over. This act of cowardice. Moses cannot be brought to circumcise his own sons. He has his wife do it, and she comes back to him, and throws the foreskins at his feet, and basically says, "Your God is a bloody God." Mm. And to which we, the reader, we kind of, I guess, have to say, yes. Um, but that that blood is efficacious, and it is. Um, we are we are grateful for the blood, and um, we should not spurn it. In the meantime, have you uh, recovered your thought? I did. Yeah. The other recurring theme of Scripture is is just that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and 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 power is made perfect in weakness. Um, mm, and, and, yes. And that's where like Elisha's like, go go wash yourself in this filthy river. Um, you know, this this very simple thing is is what God has asked you to do. Rather than to go wash in this in this worldly successful empire, um, that has what would that have been? The Tigris, areas. probably. Yeah, Euphrates. No, I think yeah. the Euphrates. Euphrates. Yeah, I have no idea. Have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Good talk. I think um, we have such a good uh, we had such a good culture segment lined up, but we've gone over. We should save that for next week and make yeah. sure we budget our yeah. time properly to yeah. to kind of do it next week. And I'll actually. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll watch uh, a little bit so we can we can actually say a little more and I, I can speak less out of ignorance. Awesome. Should we uh, should we end in prayer? Yeah, let's do that. Would you like me to lead the prayers? Or, uh, why don't you this week? I think I did last week. Okay. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O Lord, from whom all good proceeds, grant us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may always think those things that are good and by your merciful guidance may accomplish the same. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. 
Amen. Awesome, Christopher. Great episode. Next week, man. Next week.